Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Today is Sunday, November 3rd, all day long, and you're tuned in to the wonderful, magnificent, marvelous, extravagant, one and only image show on 98.3 The Vibe. We've got some great guests on the show. We've got one guest appearing by phone a little later on, and we've got one with us right now. In the studio is... The one and only Phil Holmes. And Phil Holmes, it's a pleasure to have you on the air with us this morning. Man, my pleasure. So glad to be here. For those of you who don't know Philip Holmes, he is the director of operations at Wingstop on Merle Hay Road. They are growing fast and ready to open up another store. Phil, first of all, just tell us a little bit about your story. You've got a really interesting story as it relates to uh, growing up in the streets of Chicago, Illinois, to uh, being successful and uh, going to college and graduating from Drake University and now being the director of Wingstop. You know, I tell you, it's interesting. Um, And also, I want to let everyone know, my, my brother... People always laugh about this because they don't realize who he is. But my brother is actually William Holmes, who is known as Will Keeps. Oh, really? Yes, yes. Always, we look totally different. You know, my brother's one way, I'm the other way. But we both grew up on those inner city streets of Chicago. I went one way, my brother went the other way. Okay, but, now, wait a minute. Tell me a little bit about uh, your brother, first of all. Oh. For those who may not know who he is. God, my brother's a huge activist in town. I mean, we're talking about a person who's been involved with the youth, and he has he's establishing his own building and foundation. He truly believes in giving an opportunity for young black youth to grow so they don't have to go through what he went through. Amen. And he went through a lot. Good, good. So tell us a little bit about your uh, growth. You grew up in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, You graduated from Drake University, which is really a a great school, especially uh, from someone uh, coming through the neck of the woods that you came through and going through the struggle. You know, I could really relate to your story, but I thought that it would be good for others to hear it. So uh, could you just tell us, kind of start back to where, you know, you decided. Where it began, how it happened, the the whole deal. You know, it was an accident. (laughs) It really was. It was an accident. I was playing ball. We had a game. I went to Morgan Park High. Recruiter was coming out to look at a guy from Simeon, you know, another high-ranking school. Oh, yeah, I'm familiar with Simeon. So as he's looking at this other play, he just seen me. I just happened to have a good game that day. It was average, but it's still a good, solid game. I'm sitting in the locker room getting changed. Guy walks up on me and says, hey, 55, good game today. And I'm looking at him like, yeah, okay, yeah, thanks a lot. Hey, you ever thought about going uh, to school in the Midwest? I said, man, I am, Midwest, what are you talking about? He says, Drake. I says, Drake, where, where, where is that? <laughs> he says, Iowa. I said, Iowa. <laughs> I said, man, what? He said, Des Moines. I says, the what? I said, man, please. Come on, don't y'all grow potatoes there? He's, <laughs> he says, no, man, that's corn. So Got it mixed up with Idaho. Like I they, did. They, they always do. I did. <laughs> Crazy enough, I decided to go ahead and take up open his offer. And we went on a visit. And me, my mom, my best friend, and her girlfriend. And I remember driving into town on 235, and I seen the gold capital. And at that moment in time, at like 17, I had an epiphany. I didn't even know what epiphany was at 17. <laughs> but... I seen my life flash before my eyes. I seen myself getting uh, married here, having my children here, working here. I actually seen myself just never leaving here. And 
in the end result, I've left a couple times, and I did get married here. Bless my uh, poor wife. She's deceased now. And uh, my kids are grown, and they're still here. And guess what? The opportunity of a lifetime comes in my pathway to grow one of the largest growing chains and franchises from a corporate standpoint in Des Moines, Iowa. Wow. And that is Wingstop, of course. That is Wingstop. And for all of you listening, I want you to know, now it's Sunday morning, of course, but Phil was so such a nice guy, should I say, that he brought in wings for everyone this morning. So, Phil, thanks a lot, man. And those fire wings, what was those? You had the atomic. Oh, man, I bit into the wrong the wrong Accidentally. Batch. He's supposed to wait, guys. <laughs> that that was fire. Man, that still's got my mouth on fire. Look at you. That's why you sound so good. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I appreciate that. So, Phil, now, when you experienced uh, going to Drake University, you obviously came across uh, the fact that you were one of very few uh, in a state that was uh, ran by mostly con- Caucasians, or should I say had more Caucasians than African Americans. Was that a big change for you uh, oh, coming here? Man, that was a culture shock. Culture shock. You have to understand, coming from the south side of Chicago, I didn't see any Caucasians unless they were driving the bus okay. or washing the windows. It's a whole different world. And when I first came here, I remember being in my uh, Drake basketball jogging suit, and I was out in Valley West Mall, and I was just walking around, and I was perplexed. And I had to actually stop someone and ask them, excuse me, but can you tell me where the black people are, where the black mall is? (laughs) And they looked at me, and you know what they said? You might want to try Merle Hay. (laughs) I said, what? So, once again, to follow up on your question, yes, it was a culture shock for being in the classrooms. I had to work harder, study harder. One of my professors actually took me underneath his wing. I was in the uh, speech communications building, and I was working. And there was this guy who was all arrogant. I said, why why does that guy think he's all that? And that's the speech comm provost. He's the man. Really? So I stopped him one day. I said, man, what, what makes you all that? Why do you think you all that? He says, son, let me tell you something. I said, man, what's really a speech communication? What can that major do for me? He says, with a speech communications major, you can do anything you want and do it well. He says, because people will always need people to transcend their higher level thought process down to regular folk to understand and process. And at that moment in time. I was like natural. He took me underneath his wing, and I, and once again, I'm coming from inner city, so my you know my reading skills weren't the best, my writing skills weren't the best. I struggled, but I still came up with the whole department's help because they seen the talent and the future and what I could do with their guidance. I think that that's beautiful, and looking back. It obviously paid off in a major way because, like you said, uh, you know, you've married your wife. Of course, she's deceased now. Uh, Lord bless her soul. And you have kids. And now you're in a position where you have good financial stability. And it sounds like you're you're moving in your you're working in your passion. Yes, yes. I mean, as I said, we're moving and grooving. My whole goal, this Wingstop franchise coming to Des Moines is bigger than us. It's all about development. It's about each one teach one. It's about taking our young African-American men and women and giving them a purpose, giving them a passion, and showing them what good performance looks like by someone of their same color hue so that they can recognize that, you know, yes, I can still be me. 
be black, have my little swag, and guess what? Still be corporate at the same time. I'm going to show them how to walk that path, not only successfully, but consistently so that they can grow and teach others. That's great. We've got Phil Holmes with us. He's the director of operations with Wingstop here in Des Moines, Iowa. We'll be back, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to go to a quick commercial. See you in just a minute. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen, with Philip Holmes, the director of operations from Wingstop. And let me tell you, we just had some of those atomic wings, all of us here in the studio at the break. And I'm telling you, wait, well, let me let someone else tell you. Sweezy, what do you what did you think about those wings? Woo! <laughs> huh? Yes. Pretty hot, huh? Mm-hmm. They're good. Very good. They're tasty, too. Mm-hmm. Not so much that they're just fiery hot, you know, to where you can't really enjoy the food. I mean, it's just nice and crunchy, and you feel that spicy bite. Yeah, there's a real flavor there, and it's... Yeah, great flavor. That's what I like, when you can taste the flavor, and there's still... Yeah. (laughs) What do you think about them, Phil? I tell you what. (laughs) You see, I'm still recuperating. (laughs) Oh, that's good advertisement, man. I like that. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. Okay, now let's get back into uh, the business at hand here, and that is we've got some people here listening, and you can just see by the way those lights are lighting up right now, that's all the people tuning in that are tuned. As we started talking, you can see the people that are constantly tuning into the station, and this is why, uh, you know, what makes this so special for me Mm -hmm. is just watching the people and and how they just gravitate toward the show. It's, it's, It's amazing. But uh, let's talk more about you right now and this, uh, you know, life story that you've got. So you come from uh, Chicago, Illinois, and you get a full-ride football scholarship to play at Drake University. Yeah, I played football and basketball, actually. Oh, you played basketball, too? Yeah, I played. Actually, it was basketball at first when Gary Garner was there. Really? And then he got let go. And then I was, a lot of my buddies left, and I decided to stick around. And that's when I started playing football. Oh, wow. That is great. You know, I played basketball as well. And I, <clears throat> what year was that that you played for Drake? Oh, that was 87. Okay, yeah, that was before my time. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so then you played uh, sports there at Drake, and then you uh, had your family here. Mm-hmm. And now, for a lot of us young African American brothers, or even old, who haven't yet quite seen to draw the line with this racism stuff, I mean, they think. A lot of people think that every Caucasian they run across is prejudice. No, 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 no. You know, it's funny. At the end of the day, I can count on my hand how many encounters I've had with absolute racism in the Midwest. That's from Nebraska to here to Kansas. Because really the true element behind it is it's about how you carry yourself. That's right. And I remember the very first time I had a white man, excuse me, Caucasian call me, sir. (laughs) I was uh, uh, going into a grocery store, uh-huh. and this gentleman, I was just regularly dressed, but it must have been the way I walked, the way I carried myself, and he literally broke his neck to open the door for me. He said, after you, sir. Now, I, that, that stayed with me for a little while, because I tried to figure out what would make this gentleman, I didn't even know, just want to show that type of respect. Usually, you think it'd be the other way around. We'd be trying to do that, right? Sure. But no, no, it was the fact that... I come to the conclusion, if we teach our young black men how to carry themselves as men, and they recognize 
the fallacies that they deal with in other people at the same time and just disregard those on the level of I am who I am. Maintain your composure. Be responsible. Treat others how you want to be treated. It's an aura. That's right. It's a a presence. You know, I completely agree with you. Uh, Growing up and having the experience to be around uh, Caucasian folks, Mm -hmm. you know, my high school coach and his wife and his kid, they were my literally my family. I mean, they uh, I lived with them my sophomore, junior and senior year. And I was able to see a difference uh, that most African-Americans just first of all, they don't get a chance to experience what I did and obviously what you did. But uh, they don't get the opportunity to really understand the difference and they have right. that that chip on their shoulder mm-hmm. I mean and this has really affected the penal systems you know right. the institutions uh, you know because most of the time especially particularly in Iowa mm-hmm. when uh, <clears throat> guys are going to court they're yeah. going to get a Caucasian uh, lawyer, public mm. defender. They're going to have a Caucasian judge. Mm-hmm. They're going to have a Caucasian prosecutor. Mm-hmm. And the f- first thing that comes to their mind, just like it would with anyone else, mm-hmm. I mean, is is prejudice. Yes. Now, you got to think, if a white person went in front of an all-black judge, right. an all-black prosecutor, an all-black public defender that he or she wasn't happy with, they're going to mm-hmm. have the exact same type of thoughts. So this is what we're faced with, and this is what is, is really going on. And so uh, I'm going to start a class here called First Fridays. And I would like you to come in, you know, on one of these occasions as a guest speaker and just kind of talk a little bit about that <clears throat> because, you know, I, I'm going to have some guys in there I know that are going to have that same type of thought you know, because they've been or had some kind of dramatic experience in, in, in this type of situation. And so, you know, I just want them to be able to see that, number one, you're in an all-Caucasian all state, right. minority. Right. But doesn't mean that because you're a minority that you can't overcome this frame of thinking because that's all it is. Is a lot of it is a frame that's of thinking. That's all it is. Yeah. No. No. no don't get, don't get me wrong. That it, there is some prejudice that exists. Yes. yes. You know, but it's not so much at the point and at the rate that it's being talked about. No. No. My friends back home would ask me the question since I've been in management for the last twenty eight years. They would say, Phil, how do you manage all them Caucasians, man? I mean, how do, how do you make that happen? And I would explain to them, there's only one color a business sees. They only see green. They don't see white. They don't see black. They don't see blue or yellow or red. It's all about the individual who can go in and manage the business and take control of the project and make the profit. So at the end of the day, that's what it really comes down to from a a young black man to recognize as you're growing up, where is your self-worth? What is your self-worth and who is your self-worth to? Is it to yourself and to the people that you're dealing with? Now, we would all love to be entrepreneurs. We would all love to. Unfortunately, that's not going to be in everybody's pattern, right? That's right. So then if you're going to beat someone, I would say to my team members when they come to work, the ones that I see potential in and I want to grow. And I give them the catchphrase. And look, if you're going to be here, and then I look at them real stern, I said, 
be here. See the difference? You can be here and be just an employee and working, or you can be here and make a difference and evolve in the management, take control of the ownership of what we're doing right now, and be passionate about it and help me grow the business. That's right. See, that's a catchphrase. You're gonna, if, you're either gonna, if you're gonna be here, then be here. And if you're gonna show up to work, then show out. That's right. Don't just come do the norm. Good is, in my system, good is mediocre. My people understand that. Greatness is the standard. Hmm. That's deep. I like it. Ladies and gentlemen, you're tuned in to The Image Show. We've got Phil Holmes with us. From He's actually the director from Wingstop. And they are now building another location. Tell us about the new location you guys got coming. Oh, we're getting fired up about this one, ladies and gentlemen. It's going to be opening up here probably before Christmas. It's going to be right there off East 14th behind that Tasty Tacos and in between with the McDonald's. Everyone knows the spot. The old Quiznos has been shut down for the last three years. And now, look, that Sprint store shut down, too, now. Oh, we may oh. just take that over later oh. on. But the beautiful look part out. about it, right there, middle of the city, uh, what, right by the High School, Grandview, downtown, East Village. Look at here. If you didn't know us now, you're going to know us then. <laughs> okay. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, now, we've got Phil with us. He's a great guest on this show because he's been through the ups and downs of life. He knows what it's like to have little. He knows what it's like to That's have right. a lot. That's right. Now, Phil, tell us a little bit about how you were able to escape uh, prison life and the institutions and things like that. Hey, you know, realistically, coming to Drake saved me. Uh, it didn't save my brother. He got caught up in it, unfortunately. But for me, being on the buses of inner city Chicago where I got recruited many a times and seen guys get thrown out of windows right on the bus, and there were many times where I would walk to school instead of take the bus to school. They got thrown out of the window, oh, out, out of the, the bus window. window? We're oh, talking about old CTA, the green machine. Anybody from Chicago out there know them windows used to just open up. They'd throw you out the window. Oh, gosh, that's it was, bad, It was man. no joke. I got approached one time, dude wanted to take my belt. I just came back from Europe. I was overseas on a class trip. I had this Giorgio Armani belt. No one would ever have it. But at the same time, I was five years ahead of the game. I got approached right on the bus. Hey, man. Hey, tell you, we're going to make you a deal. What you talking about, bro? Hey, man, how about your belt? You know, or we go ahead and, you know, beat that. What? No, man. So I told it, told right there. I didn't go to the back of the bus because they would have threw me out the window. <laughs> so I was right there by the, by the door oh, where you were a single foul where you know, I, I took a couple shots but I was able to get a couple shots back because only one of them could come at me at one time see but I tell you what I kept my belt you kept your belt I kept my belt and you didn't get thrown out the window I didn't get thrown out the window okay well that's good hey now uh, for people out there that may be in uh, the county jails listening we get a lot of people from the Polk County Jail listening in Mitchellville uh, you know these people are coming out looking for some hope for some support and you know I think that you know a person like you is inspiring to these type of individuals uh, what would be some advice that you have for people coming out of incarceration at the end of the day like I said, we've all had our ups and downs and been faced with adversity. You have to believe in you, no matter what. 
even though it looks hopeless, even though you're thinking it was going to give you a break, I remember I've been there. I know what that feels like. I remember sitting in my car one time. I was out of work for six months one time. You know why? Because I was overqualified. Yeah. Crazy. Overqualified. And I remember sitting in my car. I was, you know what I was selling? I was selling phone book ads. And uh, and Ames, I remember sitting in my car one day. I, I went into some little restaurant. Dude told me, "No, flat out, get out." Man, I sat in my car, and I remember I, I, the tears just ran down my eyes. Like, what am I doing, or what did I do wrong? And at the end of the day, I stopped, wiped my face, said, "Look at here, man. You know who you are. You know where you came from. This is just a stumbling block. But you keep being you and pushing forward." And guess what happens? Then you succeed. So that's it. No matter what you deal with, what comes in front of you, just stay true to the game. Know who you are. Believe in you. God takes care of the rest. That's right. Amen. I tell you, man, it's, it's been nice. I like, you know, I, first of all, I always like talking with educated brothers from uh, Chicago because they always enlighten me. Uh, and I hear some stories that I can just kind of feel uh the emotion through the stories, you know, getting thrown out of the bus. The like, you know, I picture the MTA bus that we have here, and I just try to imagine. Now, your buses were different because you mm-hmm. said that they opened, but I just, I couldn't even imagine, you know, somebody getting thrown out of the bus because, you know, they wouldn't join a gang or they wouldn't give up yeah. their belt or something yeah. like that. Be, beat down, then thrown out the bus. That's Man, that's worse. Goodness. You get beat, you get the beat down, then you get thrown out the bus. That, that, that's ridiculous, right? And can't nobody do nothing about it. The bus driver just keeps driving. The bus driver keeps driving. He keeps driving. He that, that's cold-blooded, man. That's life. Goodness gracious. Well, the good thing is that uh, you were able to get past that stage in your life and, you know, make it out of that struggle. Unfortunately, there are people still trapped in that similar type struggle <clears throat> right here in Des Moines, Iowa. That's right. That's right. You know, those struggles, the ones we would deal with in Des Moines, they are real. They are real. But they're sustainable. That's the key. That's what we have to teach our young brothers and sisters to understand that, yes, you're going through something, but you're not going through the other stuff. You're going through a different kind of something. So now let's show you how to stand up straight and deal with the something we're going through here so that when you do leave here, you know what to deal with out there. Sure. And, Phil, for those that may be coming out of prison, of jail, and they may be listening to this show, or they may have some family members listening. Are you one that hires felons? Look at here. You come out, you come see me all day long. Don't even worry about it. At the end of the day, it's not what you was. It's who you're trying to be. And, and you know I know the answer to that before I ask the question. <laughs> that was a dumb question. <laughs> you just wanted it to no, they needed to hear that because uh, there's so many times where even at the Evelyn K. Davis Center where I mm-hmm. work at, we'll have a job fair. And the first thing that someone will say is, oh, I got a felony on my record. I don't think they'll hire me. Now, of course, it depends on what kind of felony mm-hmm. that you have. you know. But mm-hmm. all of our job fairs at the Evelyn K. Davis mm-hmm. Center are felony friendly, all of our mm-hmm. career fairs. Uh, I know just by the type of person that you are. I know the people that you've hired, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that they have felons mm-hmm. on their record. And so uh, you're all about, you know, advocacy. You're all about second chances. And you're a great mm-hmm. educated 
African-American man. And I appreciate you coming on the show this morning. Man, it's such a pleasure. And I'm going to give everyone out there a small tip, felons. As of November 1, from an HR standpoint, all operations are no longer allowed to put that one box on your application. Are you a felon? Ban the box. The box is gone. The box has been booted. Yes. So don't worry about the box no more. It's gone. <laughs> That's great. And you know, uh, when I was out in Washington, D.C., that was one of the things that we were actually lobbying against. Mm-hmm. And I was so glad and relieved to hear that news. Yes, yes, so, yes that's big. Yeah, that's great. And I'm glad that you were able to tell everyone that because yeah. we needed to hear that. Mm-hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we want to thank Phil Holmes for coming on this morning. And so, Phil, we're going to definitely invite you back. And uh, we're going to have to say so long for now. And those wings that you brought in were just magnificent. Look, look, look. And everybody remember, a new store opening up in December and the operation on Merle Hay Road, 3803 Merle Hay. Look, if you ain't came to the stop yet to get your wings, you're missing out. We're going to go to a commercial from 98.3 The Vibe, The Image Show. We're saying so long to Mr. Holmes. We'll see you next time, and we'll be back with our next guest. Don't touch that dial. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen, on The Image Show. With us is Caress Bay Yorkland. Caress B. York. I'm sorry. And yeah, you got close. You did good, though. I'll take that. I'll take it. Okay. So, Caress, and it's uh, just like the Caress soap, correct? Yes, correct. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Caress is a activist for mental health. Uh, she comes by way of telephone with us this morning out of Fort Dodge, Iowa, and she is just uh, such a remarkable lady in, in what she's doing. Oh, she realizes the crisis that we're in with mental health and uh, she actually reached out to me because she wanted to talk about this and so I think that this is very special this is uh, actually a a very very interesting topic that we're on right now so I want you (laughs) to just go ahead and and, and take over tell us a little bit about you and and what you do and, and what you're looking to get out of this um, well, a little bit about me is I'm born and raised in a Fort Dodge, uh, Iowa community. Um, I live maybe an hour, a little more over an hour uh, from Fort Dodge, and I drive there maybe three to four times a week helping um, the community with different things, um, different groups in the community, different organizations. Um, I go and be an activist and speak for mental health. I just help. Um, people who are in need. Um, I do have a ministry. Um, my husband is a licensed, um, local licensed pastor, so we have a mission to be able to serve the Fort Dodge community. But mine is specifically, my ministry is mental illness. I believe that it plays a big part in the correctional um, area. It plays a big part in the community. But as a whole, mental illness is one of the number one things that's unspoken, but the number one things that is in crisis the most. Okay. And what are you doing right now to help change this? Right now, I am in um, a bit of a lot of politics in Fort Dodge. There was a building that was an old substance abuse treatment inpatient and outpatient uh, facility. They end up getting um, an upgrade and they end up moving to a, a facility that was built from the ground up. So it left that facility available. 
um, there's only two committal beds for mental illness from the hospital in Fort Dodge, and this building is empty, and it's already coded to be a facility. So what I did, what I'm doing right now is just trying my best. I put out a business proposal to um, make that building, at least some of it be used for a committal space, some of it be used for workforce um, site type um, space, um, different programming. I would call it a just a mental health facilities only specializing in mental health and different things that um, would help make um, mental health patients or clients continue to have a consistent um, support to be able to maintain whatever things that they are dealing with because they can be diagnosed with something and get a medicine from something. But even if they are diagnosed with the mental illness and receive medicine, that's not enough to continue to help them maintain everyday life because it's more mental illness is more of something that you need to find um, a way to cope, a way to deal with everyday life. And it is there is in the state of Iowa is the second worst um, state that has uh, mental illness reporting. And that is becoming an issue because and people who are dealing with mental illness, they end up being in the correctional facilities. They end up being in jail. They end up um, getting in more trouble and going back to jail due to the lack of um, reporting from the state of Iowa is leading others to overlap in their health care and it's overlapping in the jail population. So in order to us to be able to grow economically, we have to be able to face it and talk about mental illness. in the correctional facility right now, at the women at the uh, the, the total women correction facility in the state of Iowa right now, over eighty percent of those women are suffering with mental illness. Now, as a whole, with men and women that's in the jail system, sixty percent of them have been diagnosed with a mental illness. That's when it becomes a problem to understand: like, should some of these people get another chance to they will be able to get help, or can we give them the utensils they need in order to get help so they don't have to come back and they can maintain it? Um, okay. Okay, so Again. I, I guess this would be my question, and this is something that I would personally want to know. So you said 60% or high or low 60% of males are that are incarcerated have mental illness problems. Is that correct? With, yeah, with men and women together, that's a total of 80%, or 60% with all, and in the women is six, and it's 80, um, 80% for the women okay, so in you Iowa have, who in jail. Okay, so you I have, do have the statistics. I do want to, I will send them to you. No, 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 that, no um, that's I fine. Do have this. That's fine. What, I, what okay. I'm just trying to <laughs> establish right now is we have a roughly 80% of women who are in prison who have mental illness problems, and then we have together, combined with men and women, it's 60 uh, percent or sixty something about percent. sixty percent. Okay, yes, and, then, and this is in ho- Iowa. Ho- ho- hold on one second, and then at just the male population, what's the percentage mm-hmm. of that? Um, I'm not exactly sure the exact of the male, but I know that I know for sure that the women have a higher percent than the males. Okay, so we have eighty percent that are then uh, females now. With that being such a high percentage of those incarcerated females, would you say that the people that are coming out would be better served in a mental illness treatment facility? I want to say in a mental illness or not a treatment facility. I think that they would be better served as having a support system that is consistent with whatever um, symptoms that they um, are diagnosed with with mental illness. Because I think they people believe, I think they 
should be able to be able to maintain a society, as in out of the jail walls or being able to have fresh air walking down the street. Um, I say facility as in facility only for people who being committed into the hospital and need, and then they get court ordered be committed. But as for that's only one part of the building that I'm talking about. But oh, okay, as a okay, whole okay. Building, hold, yeah, before you get to, to that next subject, dealing with the percentage of people coming out with mental illness, that, that's what I want to talk about right now, because uh, if there's 80 percent of women coming out with mental illness or that are in there, then would you think that it's safe for society per se to have someone who has committed a crime to come out with a mental illness and be capable of committing the exact same crime, if not worse? You see, that's yes. that's where the this is where the problem uh, lies, because if you're a lawmaker or, you know, someone who's looking to change policy, then you have to look at things from both sides. And so yes. and so, you know, the way this sounds to me is that if you have these people that have these mental problems and, you know, there's there's mental illness, then that could be a complete different risk in itself. Yeah, I agree. And we can even you know what? We can get deeper in it. A lot of the percentages that I'm going to be honest with you, a lot of these percentages, I believe, come from them being incarcerated and not having the right resources in order to maintain in order to get out. Well, I, I do too. You become when you when you under when you under the walls of the jail and you don't got nothing to do but time and think that should be the perfect time in order for you to be able to do have a plan of action for when you leave. But they don't even have to be accountable of having a plan because the system already makes them feel like they're gonna come back. So then they can never even adapt from the beginning. They need to get some services inside to have a plan to be able to cope with whatever they're coping with. So when they come out, it'd be helpful. Sure, and if that, they ha- if they happen again. So right. it's like what is happening underneath the, in the walls of the jail because most percentage of people that got mental illness or anything they've been in jail before or got a record or got something and made a bad choice all due to them not being able to identify things that's going on with them but what is the jail system doing underneath the walls with these programs they need some programs in order to sustain their mental health not just substance abuse is uh, illness, but some of the time the mental illness has the substance abuse with it. And if you don't got things to cope with, like getting a job because you're a felon, you gonna want to go sell some dope. If right. you ain't got no, if you ain't got no resources in order to be able to become clean and ain't got no support, then you gonna want to get high because you can't get a job because you got a felony and don't nobody want to give you a chance. Right. And so how is that even fair? That's already repeating it. And, and, it th- and, and this is something, <laughs> and this is something that uh, you know I think needs to be addressed. However, when we address these situations, we have to number one look at both sides. Uh, because, you know, that's what we're going to be dealing with is the rebuttals. Number two. Yes, I agree. Yeah. And, and, and number two, uh, you have to look at the reality and what's really going on behind the scenes in the matter. You know, like you say, the mental illness, 80 percent of the people that are females in Mitchellville or that are in, incarcerated now well in mm-hmm. Iowa and, and that's Mitchellville of course because that's the only women's uh, prison facility in Iowa so you know the the fact of the matter is that this is happening a lot of this is happening I believe because of the time that they're spending in the institution in incarceration yeah. and so yeah. you know but until you can actually 
take you know these elements and break them down, you can't deal with them. And so that's yeah. that that that's my whole uh, point that I really was trying to to figure out. And so I'm glad that you were able to come on the show and talk to us about this. And I'm glad that you I got one more I got one more point though that is really good. It's just a point of thinking. Okay. That the, how much the price that it costs for one day in jail or one day in prison is more than enough to cover a person who's getting a, a weekly stay or a weekly um, therapy session with a professional outside the jail cell. You only got to be able to come there once a week in order to get treatment if you um, is mentally ill, like a therapist. Once you go there once a week, versus if you go in jail, you in jail, you get paid. You have to pay the price of what it costs every day in jail, and that be towards your restitution. Okay. And towards whatever things that is way more than that's way more that the government is giving than a person who can be out of jail and maintaining their um, symptoms or illness by getting a visit one week to a therapist. Okay, now you brought sense. you brought that up. Now you're saying that to say what? Give me a solution behind a that. A solution would be to that that be careful of is the the restitution cost. The the, the solution is staying out of jail. That's the solution, as in staying out of jail and maintaining your mental illness in order to maintain and be able to be around social environments. So the issue with that is just support system, compassionate, and having the resources you need. Like that I proposed that I sent, the workforce site, you on, you get in workshops, you get in job training, you get in resume training. There would be a grooming station that would have a barbershop, and it would have a, a beauty shop for people who need uh, going to interviews. you got to have, a big, you know, people who got DHS okay. or MA2. Well, let's look at the- the, uh, the reality of this and the fact that, okay, we're talking about mental illness. So mm-hmm. what if, you know, to, in talking about a solution, how many uh, mental uh, illness programs or in-house uh, facilities or, or treatment programs or dealing with mental illness do we have in the state of Iowa? There is only... Um, they have been mental health facilities. Well, well where you're at, where you're at in Fort Dodge, how many is there? Is there they any? only have the they only have the one. They have other they have places that deal with mental health health services, but there is not a mental health site. Okay, so that's thing. my point. There's they don't none. even they don't even have none. That, that that's what There's I'm getting at. There's not even none in Iowa. Okay. There's not it, even really it, none it, in Iowa exactly. at all. Exactly. That that's what I'm saying. So that yeah. would be probably one of the first solutions is to establish some type of uh, mental illness facilities to get some help. If you have 80 percent of the people that are females incarcerated that have this kind of disability, would you say? Yeah, yeah. I would agree. Well, hey, listen, it was a pleasure to have you on the <laughs> Image Show this morning with us. And we're out of time right now. I've got... Sorry that my talking is so much. I hope you can't edit it, though. Oh, no, no. I probably sound terrible. No, that's fine. And I don't like to edit stuff. I like to keep it real and raw. This is the Image Show. We like it completely 100% raw and uncut. <laughs> so, do you have a telephone number or website for anyone out there that has mental illness problems that might be in the Fort Dodge area that needs your help? Yes, I do have a telephone number. It is 712-260-0498. Um, that does, we, we, I do help with a food pantry place, so food or anything in need of clothing or anything, I would be more than happy to help in any way that I can with any type of services. Or if I can help you find resources, I'll be more than happy to. All right. That's great. We're out of time. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for tuning in again this week. From The Image Show, it's Robert Pate and Chris 
B. Yorkland <laughs> from Fort Dodge, <laughs> Iowa, saying so long and have a blessed week.